Welcome to Crooked Little Girl. This is one woman's story of receiving a crooked gospel that created a crooked life. The quality of this podcast is not professional by any means, and I know it's not professional. I can't hide the effects of long COVID that comes through in my speech sometimes with nerve damage in my tongue. I can't hide the breathing issues from long COVID either, or the outdoor sounds that come and go, or most of all, my five kids that make the noise of 50 people all day long in this house where I'm recording. Still, I hope that you can enjoy the story of a crooked girl. Dear COVID, sometimes I forget what it was like before you ransacked my body back in the fall of 2020. Um, Right now I'm in the middle of a really bad flare. It's been, what is it, a month and a half now and getting worse all the time because I did too much. I... All my symptoms get triggered if I do too much physical activity, like too much housework or if we go somewhere and I have to walk too much, Um, and too much by the standards of the new crippling illness type (laughs) standard of too much, which is hardly anything. I can feel kind of normal, normal-ish, if I'm very careful, but... If I do too much, then uh, all hell breaks loose. In COVID, you've changed my body in such huge ways. Today I was going to record, even though my voice is kind of, I don't know, kind of weak and hoarse, because that's what happens when the cascade of COVID symptoms keeps going and going for a while. Um, I get weaker and weaker, and then I get the really bad shortness of breath, even though I didn't have respiratory problems at all in my first COVID um, infection. It was all heart and chills and brain symptoms. But now it just kind of feels like everything, every system of my body just kind of goes sinking down into this really low level where I can hardly handle anything. Um, The trigger this time was that I had to clean up a lot after a house renovation. And then uh, I kept fainting the first week of cleaning up, and now the fainting has continued. Just kind of unpredictable. Like, I'll stand up. Most of the time when I stand up, it's fine. But thanks to postural orthostatic tachycardial tachycardia syndrome I think that that's what POTS stands for I can't handle standing up sometimes even though I'm very careful about how I do it and then I keel over (laughs) um I thought I would I don't know it just for the sake of putting it out there into the void for for people who either have long COVID and feel like they're alone or people who don't have it or have a different type um, and they hear about it, I thought I would talk about what it's like when I'm in the middle of the real low point of a flare-up because when I get to feeling more normal again in a couple weeks or however long it takes, I'm going to forget a lot of the... I don't know, the everyday things that change when you feel like this. 
So it feels like my body is a thousand pounds. It feels like someone strapped heavy, heavy weights on my shoulders, on the back of my head, the back of my legs, um, just all down me, really, like my hands. It's like the heaviest weights that nobody can see. And it makes it so hard to move at all. And it's like there's a weight like that on my brain. Like my thinking is just slowed down to a crawl the more this goes on. And I'll go into the kitchen and (laughs) I'll look at the, uh, I don't know, the bagel in the toaster or something like that. I'll put a bagel in. And I'll be waiting for it. And then after a few seconds, I'll think, why am I just standing here? (laughs) Is there a reason that I'm standing here? Or was I about to do something? And then I'll try really hard to remember, what was I going to do? And I might start doing something else that I see that I think, oh, this must be why I came here. And then all of a sudden, the toaster (laughs) pops out my bagel. And I think, oh, that didn't take long to forget why I was here this time. It was that. I was going to eat a bagel. It's like I have no working memory or short-term memory, whatever that is. just kind of dies away the longer that a flare-up goes on. Or my kid will start telling me something, and if it involves more than a couple pieces of information, I just get completely lost. Like, I have to just keep asking questions because my mind can't hold on to things. It's like like one piece of information is okay if I haven't taken in anything lately, but then after that, I can't take anything in for a pretty long time. Later in the day, I might be able to take in one more piece of information that I didn't know before. (laughs) It's so pathetic. I used to have a really good mind. COVID did something to it. I don't even understand how a virus can affect your memory and your cognitive processing like that, but it totally did. I can't read books, um, which is ironic because my very own book, my poetry collection that a publisher took in the spring on my first try sending it out to see if anyone could ever publish anything I wrote, A publisher out west took it, and it just came out on Saturday. I got my copies in the mail, and it was just such a huge milestone in my life, like a real lifelong, ever since I was six years old, I've wanted to be a poet that published my poems, you know, more than publishing stories or anything else. And it happened, but it happened about a month or more into this flare-up, so... (laughs) It's kind of diminished any feelings that I would have had about it and any desire to celebrate or to feel as excited as I would have. But also, I can't really process reading right now. It's really bad timing. Uh, For the first year, at least, of having long COVID, I literally could not read a book or written down information. I could not understand it. It was like, I know that the words individually mean something. Like if you said, you know, point at this word, what does it say? 
I could take a page of any book and point at any word and tell you what it was and what it means, but I couldn't put them together for anything meaningful. And it's still hard all the time to process reading. It's very slow. It makes me very tired. It makes the heavy feeling like the dumbbells or whatever you want to picture on all my body. It makes them get a million times heavier, um, even if I'm in a good place and not in a flare-up. Reading anything new that I haven't read before, just, yeah, that, that weighed down thing gets worse. My heart races... I might get paralyzed in a couple of my fingers on my right hand. It's hard to even lift my right arm up. Um, My right ear hurts like crazy. The nerves where I have vestibular neuritis and then also on that side I have trigeminal neuralgia. Both of those conditions flare up with really severe nerve pain if I read too much that I haven't read before. The funny thing is, I love to reread books that I love, so I can read books and poems that I already knew. Um, And it's a little tiring. It's not like before, I guess. I would probably, if I could go back for like a day to my pre-long COVID body, I might think that it's really different for those things that are familiar too, but to me right now, it doesn't feel like it triggers much. But yeah, it's, it's really sad because reading and writing were always my favorite things. The other thing that goes is because of all the peripheral neuropathy that gets worse in a flare-up, um, my hands don't work for crocheting. I love to crochet. I love to journal, too. I like to write poems in my notebook, and I love to journal by hand, like not typing. Um, I can't really use my fingers when I'm in a flare-up, so that's really sad. I can make tea. I can sit there. I can watch something, but watching things is like a lower level of how hard it is to read. Processing a show, I can do it easier, but um, it still does something in me. It's like, it's not relaxing. It's more draining. Like, you know, if it's a show that I don't know, I can watch Dick Van Dyke's show because that's been my favorite since I was a little kid. I could watch that. I could watch Road to Avonlea. Um, You know, any of the old standbys that I like. Those are fine. I don't feel tired, but anything new. The new season of Sweet Magnolias, it's going to have to get rewatched because I got halfway through it during this flare, and I just can't understand what's happening anymore. (laughs) Um, Because as it builds, a show like that where it's like the, the themes are building, as the season goes on and you also have to remember what happened in previous seasons it's not just you know a random sitcom where an episode might be a standalone thing that I can take in and process and it's all fine in that one sitting um this is just too complicated for me I'm gonna have to wait till I feel better which is really sad (laughs) the same with podcasts I listen to podcasts just to kind of have something keeping me company. Uh, The other thing that goes that's really embarrassing, I don't feel the feeling of embarrassment anymore, but I know I I almost feel like I should. (laughs) Um, Kind of annoyed that maybe I'm just depressed about it. I don't know. But I, I stagger instead of walk. Every now and then my walking gets a little bit more normal, but most of the time I'm just like staggering forward like slowly like with jerky big weird movements jutting out to the side and 
going backwards a lot. Like I'll try to be walking forward, but then my foot actually goes backwards and I get really off balance. It's just really hard to describe, but it feels like someone's shaking the floor under me. Like when you shake out a towel from one end, it's like that's what the floor is doing, the way my brain feels. My legs are strong. People always say, oh, you should use a walker or a cane. But the first physical therapist I had for this uh, over two years ago now, she pointed out that would be a liability because it's not that I need to lean on something for my weak legs. It's that my brain has no sense of where I am in space and I've lost the entire balance system in my ear. The vestibular system, the only part of it that stayed intact was my vision, but I have vision damage from COVID too. The nerves and the quality of my vision and all that. So the one part I have, you know, the vision part is okay, but I, it's like floating in space or something. Like my body thinks that I'm just like out on the water or in space or something with nothing under me. I'm just staggering around. And if I had a cane, I would be knocking things over because I wouldn't be able to keep it like on the ground. Um, it's just really, really embarrassing when I'm at the store. It does help if I hold on to a grocery cart because I still walk like that but people know that I'm holding on to something and a grocery cart. Once we get a few things in it, because our family is so big, we fill one or more grocery carts when we go shopping every week. And once it starts to get heavy, it's really helpful. Um, so I just need to get through the empty, empty ish cart section (laughs) at the beginning. And then it really is like pretty grounding to like, even though I'm still staggering, I think people feel better. They don't feel the need to come over and ask if I'm okay or if I need something. Um, It's more about other people, which is weird. You find that out when you have a disability. You're trying to comfort people, constantly trying to reassure people. I don't know if people realize that when they don't have a disability. It's like you can tell the people in the public place, whether it's a medical place or a store or a gathering with just general people or church, you can tell, like, almost like you can feel people watching you. You can tell who's really worried and then they'll usually come over and they'll ask what they can do. And then they try to give you solutions that it's like, my doctors are way past that. I'm grateful for people trying to help, but the things they offer are like the very first level of, you know, the situation. And when you've had years and people don't know what this is or how to fix it or why all your tests are completely normal, but your body doesn't work, people just offer the most crazy things. (laughs) I mean, they make sense to them but then I'm always trying to explain and it's really tiring I think for me at least I can't speak for everyone with long COVID or a similar disability but for me I just wish that there would be maybe times at the store like how at the beginning of the pandemic if you had someone in your house that was very immune compromised for me it was my ex-husband still living with us he had cancer He had his lung removed at the 
April of 2020, so the beginnings of lockdown, um, the stores had special shopping hours, and I would go when I started going again to this store. At first, we isolated, and people dropped our food on the porch. But if there could be times for disabled people, <laughs> that would be so good. If I knew that the other people there are going to understand and they're going to be preoccupied with just trying to walk through the store <laughs> and they won't care if I'm staggering along or if I have to sit down every now and then on the floor to keep from fainting that would just be comforting somehow or if you could go to a church service like that or anything in life like that the place that it's sometimes easier is the hospital and the doctor's office and the physical therapy offices. I mean, because people are just there, like there's more sick people, <laughs> more disabled people, but also the staff in general, they kind of understand more. If I say, if I rattle off a couple of the conditions that I have, they get it usually. Although the thing that still drives me crazy is that dysautonomia, the shorthand for it, the abbreviation is POTS, like I was saying before, so P-O-T-S, and if I'm really feeling faint, or if I do faint and wake up, if I try to say I have POTS, I've had so many times where then someone tries to convey, like usually it's the paramedic telling the emergency room staff when they bring me in, she was smoking pot and then she fainted, <laughs> or her heart is racing, or her heart is too slow after she was, drink or she was smoking pot. And then I have to try and tell them, I've never smoked pot. <laughs> no alcohol, no drugs for me. Not even pot. Um, not that I'm like morally against it for every single person, but I don't think that would help my situation at all. <laughs> and it's just frustrating, you know, whether it's people in public or medical workers. They hear pots, and I don't blame them. Like, I get it. I'm sure that... It makes sense in their minds. And if people don't know about dysautonomia being called POTS, it's just hard to pronounce dysautonomia when you've just fainted or you're about to faint or you're trying not to faint. It's a really hard word. It's nice that they have an acronym for us, but man, I wish it was just about every, anything else. <laughs> the other thing that long COVID does to me is it just kind of heightens certain senses and it dulls other ones and it's not in a way that's pleasant or relaxing or enjoyable it makes life worse and less enjoyable and I'm really frustrated about that right now it would be one thing if it changed my smell to smell things like lilacs or roses or fresh baked bread but instead it sometimes not always um, it makes normal smells smell rotten or like burned or something and it's really gross and I never know when it's going to happen again it used to be constant for months now it just comes and goes uh, but why does it have to make things smell bad if my brain is misfiring that way there's a name for it I can't remember it right now because I don't have a good memory right now <laughs> I understand the mechanism of what's happening just sad that your brain misfires into rotten or burned things just like 
it makes certain tastes taste really weird. Like anything with artificial fruit flavor is just ungodly awful, just wretched. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it if you haven't had that happen from COVID. It's like how things with cilantro tasted like bitter soap before I had COVID. It's not the same taste as that, but it's just like, wow, I can tell that this is artificial strawberry or whatever, but like it's a different, different presentation of that. And it's really gross, kind of soapy, not really bitter, but just like chemicals. It kind of feels like what I would imagine if I drank some Lysol along with the strawberry. And that's annoying. It doesn't really make life, you know, really horrible. It's not as bad as the walking trouble. But then you add in the insomnia, really, really, really severe insomnia whenever I'm in a flare-up. And it's just not fair. You feel so tired, like extraordinarily tired. Not in a sleepy way, but that way that I was trying to explain where my body feels like there's huge weights all over it. And when you feel like that, and it's hard to walk, and it's hard to remember anything, you just feel slow and tired. I think it's more a byproduct of that, along with the insomnia. But then I just lay there for hours every night, not able to sleep, no matter how tired I am, no matter about my sleep hygiene. The reason I can't sleep is that my heart races, and I get these just surges for no apparent reason. You know, I could do a meditation thing or progressive relaxation and those things I don't know why but they make it happen a million times worse so I've stopped trying that stuff everyone kept telling me to try those things I can't do it if if I let my body relax I go into these surges of like panic and my heart racing and I sweat really bad and then I get tremors if I relax at all on the right side usually my arm but sometimes my leg horrible horrible tremors like flailing around to the point where if anything is is hard like anything nearby is hard it's hard like I can't keep my I can't predict where my arm will go and I can't control it so I have to physically move my whole body away to keep from getting bruises and scratches um the tremors are just so tiring and sometimes I get the tremors like that if I'm doing things during the day. It's been happening more lately with this flare-up than it has with past ones, and it's really embarrassing. Just like the walking trouble is embarrassing if I'm in public, the tremors are embarrassing. If I'm sitting at church like this past Sunday and then halfway through the service, I feel my arms start to go crazy and I don't know what people think. I mean, they know that I have long COVID. I, I should say, at church, it's probably the easiest place. That's the example that came to mind because it happened um, a few times now at church. But the, the last time it happened in public was there. And I feel care. And nobody is shaming. Nobody acts weird or makes me feel strange. But um, it's almost this, this feeling. It's hard to articulate, but it's hard to feel people caring and and um people's sympathy maybe or empathy either one I know they're different um I know that even though that's loving 
it's hard to always feel that from so many people in my life and to be so limited and so sick and to not know like is this how it is forever did I get sick when I was 39 with COVID and now the rest of my life is like this or is there a scientist somewhere that you know in the next year or 10 years or 20 years is gonna figure out the cure for long COVID so that my brain can work better and I won't have all these symptoms. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if this is a degenerative thing. Um, Nobody knows the next stages of it if it does keep going on. And it's hard in that sense, in that bigger picture view of it, to feel people you know, who who care about me and that they feel sad or they feel bad for me because I have these weird things happen. There must be a name for that that's escaping me, but just because it's not shame. I have felt shame and I still get issues with shame taking over because of all the trauma and all the abuse and everything that I've been through. It's not that at all. It's more like this bittersweet thing where I'm glad that I have people who care about me and that helps me get through. So I don't want to avoid that feeling like I'm describing when I'm at church or in certain other places with people who care about me. Like, and I'm not averse to getting help. I've never had that problem that a lot of trauma survivors have. Um, I'm always trying to figure out how to get the help to fix things, to, get out of the problem that I'm in, you know, that's how I was as a kid. That's how I still am. I'm I'm always trying to figure out like, wait, how do we fix this? So it's not about, it's not about that. It's, it's just more this feeling of they wish that I had a healthy body and there's nothing that they can do to fix my body. Um, there's nothing they can do to help me to have a normal life again where I could work and have a fulfilling job or even a career. (laughs) How amazing would that be, you know, to have financial stability? Right now we are so poor. I keep getting denied by disability. I'm going to have a hearing sometime soon. But we've just been in poverty because I became single while I was disabled and I didn't realize uh, how disabled I was for work. I thought that I could get some kind of entry-level basic job like a lot of single moms do when they escape a bad abusive relationship and I didn't realize how much more crippling my symptoms would become if I try to work at all. So anyway, people can't solve that. They can't solve the finances, the health, the abuse, um, trauma, the way that my family life is just very hard in ways that most of them haven't experienced. And then that brings me to these feelings, whether I acknowledge them in the moment or not, these feelings of, what's my story? I look back at the story of my first 40 years and I think wow, it's been sad. Mostly my story has been just full of sorrow 
and pain. And then I look ahead and I used to have a lot of hope until just recently. I always had this undying, unwavering hope. A lot of it because of the Christian way that I was raised. Um, and not all dysfunctional Christian stuff. Like I I get annoyed and, and frustrated and angry lately at the dysfunctional beliefs. But a lot of it, it really was good. It was character building. It was full of hope. It was full of things that, that grow, things like resilience and grit. And so I had that. Now I think well, what if I'm disabled like this with a mysterious condition with no treatments and that's that's it for my health and therefore I can't work? What if I do get disability benefits and I live like that and the years where I could have had jobs and I could have built a career doing what I studied, I got a master's degree that I sacrificed for the will of God, <laughs> apparently. Um, I could have done that for almost 20 years before I got sick. And then I gave up my chance. And so the regret, I feel like regret is too small a word when I look back from this point of view. I didn't realize that people were wrong when they told me all those things about how I could work for God, you know, and the covenant that I've talked about before on here, the covenant that God would be my employer and that he would pay off my student loans and, and that, you know, he would provide in bigger, more lavish ways than any boss would ever pay me if I was working for him and raising my kids. I thought, it made sense, and um, I thought it was evil and selfish and prideful and feminist and liberal, <laughs> all the worst things in the world, <laughs> if I went against that and actually used my degree and got any jobs. I mean, plus my ex-husband would not have been okay with it. That's why that was the biggest reason that we were in that system, but he didn't want me to have any independence or financial means or anything like that. So it was a double whammy. All that to say, I look forward now and I think there's a good chance that I'm always going to be sick and that if people want to do something fun, I'm going to have to say, oh, I, I can't really do that. I'm in a flare up or that would cause a flare-up, and maybe it's worth it sometimes to know I'll get really sick for a few weeks after something if it's really worth it, but then, you know, it's it's just um, like a balancing or a juggling act to think, well, what do I have after that? Do I have anything that the kids need me to be healthy for? <sighs> maybe, maybe that's the rest of my life. Um, Maybe I'm left out from things. It feels like from the way I was raised, evangelical world um, and abuse and all that, it feels like I was left out of the way that people were raised, the way that people lived, the way that people had modern American life. And now that I've gotten out of those limitations because of my body, I'm still left out. 
And there's just a lot of healing and a lot of trauma work that I need to do now to get into those places and to accept, I guess, that this is how my body is and we don't know if anyone will ever find a cure. But one of the hardest things to manage for me and I think for a lot of other people in the support group for long COVID that I'm in, one of the hardest things is just the fact that if we told people in our lives or potential employers or whatever, if we said something like, hey, I have been diagnosed with MS or I have been diagnosed with terminal cancer or (laughs) I guess not terminal because then you're not going to make it. But you know what I mean? Like a really like stage four, like they don't know if I'll make it and I'm going to be really sick for a while or congestive heart failure or something like that. Then people, you know, whether they want to be understanding or not, they would have to accommodate. And I've known enough people and helped take care of enough people with major illnesses like that, that I know that it's hard, right? That's hard is too small a word for that um but it's recognized and people they feel some level of like comfort or reassurance if you can talk about all of your treatments that you're doing and what your doctor thinks about your prognosis and all of those kind of things if you've noticed if you've been someone who's severely ill or you've been around someone like that people say oh okay well what are the doctors doing what's the plan and then you might be able to say well we're going to do these medications and they're going to start this kind of thing you know you talk about the treatments a lot and people in general those bystander people in your life they get reassured and then they ask you how those treatments are going you know and even if you're getting worse and the treatments aren't working at all the people in your life, they can commiserate with you and be like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, my neighbor went through that type of cancer and, you know, that type of chemo worked. I'm so sorry that it's not working for you. What are they going to do now? Then you can tell them, you know, oh, they're going to try this other thing. And, And if you're having surgeries or if you're having physical therapy for a degenerative disease, like there's just so many things that people can talk about. And not only is it a recognized condition where doctors have some kind of framework and plan, but also, I mean, as awful as it is, at least people, they get that sense of, okay, things are happening and this is being taken care of, you know. And instead, people with long COVID and I, like, what we talk about is how we miss out on all that. What we have is, well, I'm just sitting on my couch again. There's nothing, I mean, physical therapy, some of us get that and it's helping a little, but it's not making us better. Um, It's just kind of managing the biggest problems with moving around and for me for walking but there's nothing anyone can do and when you tell people you know people at church when they see my tremor and they say wow I'm so sorry that happened you know if it's the first time they've seen it and they say were you scared when that was happening I might I said to a few people 
oh no, it happens off and on every day. I just make sure that I'm not going to hit anything when it starts happening. And they go into shock and they're like, wow, that happens every day. Um, What if you're, you know, what if you need to drive right then? Well, I can't drive until it's over. But then I know if my hand, if my arm gets warm enough, I know that it's over and it won't happen again soon. So then I'm safe to drive. Oh, well, that just sounds terrible. What are the doctors doing? Well, they're doing nothing because all my CT scans and MRI and every test that they can do just shows that I'm normal. Like, I have such weird conversations like that. People trying to understand, you know, or they've seen me go into stroke-like symptoms where my whole right side shuts down and my mouth droops and, you know, I'm completely disabled. I can't walk or anything. That happens sometimes, not all the time. And it's the same thing. It's like, oh no, the doctors aren't doing anything because there's nothing anyone can do. (laughs) People, they get agitated and confused. It's like nobody knows how to have a conversation about a disability or a chronic illness when nobody's going to do anything. (laughs) Like... And a lot of people, they try to talk me into, you know, oh, did you try this test? What about this diet? What about this supplement? Like, I'll I'll listen. I'll, you know, maybe there's information I haven't heard before and I would want to try something. But usually it's like, I feel like I'm trying to make this person feel better now for me. And it's just an awkward, awkward conversation every time. I get that if I was in their shoes, if I never had a condition like this, I I would probably do the same exact thing. So I'm not upset. I just don't know how to keep having that conversation over and over and over. Because <laughs> I've had it for three years now. Um, and I know that there's some people, like people with ME-CFS, which is usually called chronic fatigue, People with that or fibromyalgia or chronic Lyme, they've already been through this. And they might be the the patients that can relate to my situation the most. It's not the exact same illness, but they know what it's like to have a misunderstood or, or just not understood condition where there's not really anything that anyone can do. And learning to accept that is really hard, especially when... You have symptoms in public and people want to fix it. And if you say anything about accepting that this is how it is, there's nothing anyone can do in our culture nowadays, that's like a huge red flag to people for, oh no, there's pessimism, there's hopelessness. No, don't ever let someone do that, especially if they're sick. They need to try harder. They need to have hope. They need to keep going to like, you know, more doctors, more opinions, you know, not just a second opinion, a fifth opinion. Everyone needs to keep trying and keep their hope alive. And I agree that in the broader sense, we all need hope. And I need to manage the way that I view my future now with this in 
the mix. I have to accept it and I have to find hope even if I am like this for the rest of my life with a broken body. But at the same time, I'm not being hopeless or pessimistic if I say things like, well, you know, the doctors have tested everything they can and I've tried a couple medicines for my blood pressure that made me feel worse, so there's not really anything that anyone can do. I I think that it's just hard for outsiders who haven't gone on every step of this agonizing journey to understand that sometimes that's how a medical condition works. So I will end on that sad note. <laughs> Some of us here in modern times are sick with things that doctors don't even understand at all. And some of us were affected so badly by COVID in ways that might go on forever. But even if there's a cure in a year and I get to live a normal life, it doesn't fix it right now. Because right now, the outlook is very unclear and what I know of it is really sad, really limited, really hard to imagine living for the second half of my life in a body that does these things. And I think a lot of times people kind of dismiss that reality or that, that acceptance or recognition of it, whatever, whatever it should be called, They dismiss it by saying, oh, everyone's working on it. There are so many scientists working on a cure. Like, there's no way that you'll suffer for much longer. But they don't know that. And as I said, even if there's a cure in the near future, I don't know that right now. So sitting here in my chair in 2023 with a broken down body, I can't count on that because that feels like false hope that feels more dysfunctional than accepting that I have to go out in public and have tremors or go into a stroke-like symptom or faint. But I've learned how to manage those things. I'm not just like, you know, gonna be in a dangerous place. It never happens when I drive. Luckily, driving, sitting down, I'm totally fine. It happens if I'm standing or walking too much. And uh, too much is what changes. (laughs) Sometimes I could go around all day and feel great for days and days. And it's amazing. And then other times I'm really careful and I hydrate and I take lots of salt pills and I do all the right things. And I wear the compression band around my belly and the compression stockings up to my waist. And I'm like totally ready for you know, going somewhere, maybe taking my kids on a a little excursion that's going to be really fun. And then all of a sudden, walking for 20 minutes puts me into the stroke-like symptoms. And it's like, who knows? Who knows when too much is going to be too much? Because I can rest up and prepare and do all the right stuff and get really bad. Or I can be in a stressful time and push through now and then and I don't really feel that bad so nobody knows how much I can or should do but anyway 
that is my life right now and I'm learning to accept it and I'm learning how to manage how other people interact with it too and how my kids interact with it because my kids are very limited due to my disabilities and my kids have a lot of trauma now from seeing me taken away by ambulance or me, you know, promising a certain thing and unable to do it or getting sick in the middle of it. Everything in their lives is unpredictable, especially outings or birthdays and holidays, you know, things that we really want to enjoy. As hard as I try, they can be ruined by my health. And, uh, It's just a weird juggling act that we're all thrown into thanks to COVID. And I'm trying to help my kids deal with the emotional part of that too, which is really exhausting, (laughs) to be honest, as a mom who's trying to help them through many traumas, many layers of our needs not being cared for, you know, our basic needs for most of their lives and the ways that they saw me mistreated for most of their lives and our crazy church system that programmed us all the wrong way about how the world works. We're dealing with those too. (laughs) We're pulling through one way or another. We're getting through each day, one day at a time, but it's exhausting and it's uncertain And I think the uncertainty of it is the hardest part at this point. So COVID, when you came in and ransacked my body, you set up a whole domino effect in my life and my kids' lives. And I don't know what'll happen from here. I don't know what things are gonna fall after this day, but the dominoes keep getting hit. And my chances in life keep changing. And uh, yeah, you really, you really reached farther ahead into our future than I ever, ever imagined back in 2020 when we were all watching the numbers and learning about the virus and how it spreads and wearing masks and locking down and all of that stuff. I never realized that you could reach this far into the rest of my life. But here I am, taking it one day at a time. <laughs>